hello good afternoon good morning good evening whatever time you're listening welcome to season three episode five of the black women working podcast it's Chantel here hey ladies hello hey. so um today we are joined by a very special guest um would you like to introduce yourself and what you do yeah, so my name is Belisa and I am the founder of Back in HR and I'm also a senior HR professional specialising in employee relations for a tech company. Welcome Belisa and thank you so much thank for you. joining us. And Belisa's been doing a lot of work um, representing Black in HR and you can find her on Instagram mostly, is that right? Yeah, we're on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, same social, same social media handle <laughs> at Black yeah. and HR. At Black and HR. Wonderful. So you can find Valisa using the handle at Black and HR. And of course, just a reminder to tell your friend to tell a friend to tell a friend to follow us on our social media, and the handle is at bwwpodcastuk. The hashtag is also the same hashtag bwwpodcastuk. You are welcome to um, email us on blackwomenworkinguk at gmail.com for any feedback, safe space questions or scenarios that you would like advice on. And of course, do visit our website, blackwomenworking.com, where you can subscribe to our fortnightly newsletter and find out what we are up to. So I have a bit of a quote today, but, you know, it's appropriate. So... Here we are, let me spit you some bars. They take my kindness for weakness. They take my silence for speechless. They consider my uniqueness strange. They call my language slang. They see my confidence as conceit. They see my mistake as defeat. They consider my success accidental. They minimize my intelligence to potential. My questions mean I'm unaware. My advancement is somehow unfair. Any praise is preferential preferential treatment to voice concern is discontentment if i stand up for myself i'm too defensive if i don't trust them i'm too apprehensive if i'm defiant i'm separate sorry i'm defiant if i'm separate yet i am fake if i assimilate so constantly i am faced with the workplace hate oh my days i now, love it what's the, what is <laughs> <laughs> this is so, so long. I, I, I take credit. I know we just write book, but Mickey, I take credit for this one. It's unknown. So the writer is unknown. It's a, a poem that I found on Instagram, and I feel like oh, I well, it's it. not a quote. It's more of a poem. And half of the poem actually kind of um, encapsulates all of the contradictions that we might face in a workplace. Mm. And I know many of us are in jobs mm. and workplaces that we love. Thank the, the Lord, but. You know, there's a portion of us who, even in workplaces that we love and jobs that we love, we do face these things, the essence of this podcast. And I've chosen this topic today because essentially the balance here, and you've probably gathered by the guests that we've got, we're speaking to Black and HR. So today we want to talk about our experiences and our interactions with HR, with the input from someone who works in that position. All right, so I thought, as always, I'd just offset the the episode with a few statistics, and many of which, again, we know because issues with HR, pretty much everything that we've discussed so far in season one and two. But for today, here we are. 
Survey stats reveal that black women feel least empowered in the workplace. And by empowered, this includes feelings of not being trusted or heard. One particular survey reported that black women feel more empowered when they're working from home. Who knows what that's about, but we can come back to that. Mm -hmm. um, from our previous discussions, we, we know that black women are underrepresented at all levels in all fields and struggle with promotion at work. Our experience of BAME networks and diversity initiatives fail to actually tackle the issues that we are most affected by. And perhaps I think this is because feelings are something that's not tangible enough to measure. So we want to use this episode to gain an insight on what these issues look like from the other side, from the HR perspective, and hope we hope that Black and HR will be able to rise to the challenge of this discussion. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to I'm going to start off with basically I'm going to throw this I'm going to throw out a statement which came our way when we said we were speaking to HR and then I'll give you the first question so Valisa mm -hmm. somebody did say to me that being black and HR is akin to being a black police officer I'll say it again I'll say it again being black and HR is akin to being a black police officer can you understand why there's a significant portion of black women who feel disenchanted and apprehensive about their interactions with HR? Wow, what a statement. <laughs> How do you feel about that? Does it hurt? It does, do you know what? It doesn't hurt. I understand why somebody would say something like that, unfortunately. I think um, like I've worked in places before where people have just not had a high trust in HR. And when I started, um, like the black population in this particular company, I remember one of the um, women sat me down and she said, can I trust you or not? Because oh, wow. I know she literally yeah. just yeah, was so direct. Right she was like, she needed to ask that yeah, she was like, you're black. So I'm trying to talk to you, but can I trust you because you're HR? And I was like, uh, yeah. <laughs> I was like, yeah, you can. But I, I understood where she was coming from. and kind of relates to that whole like black police officer thing so okay, elaborate. Yes, you I understood think. where she was coming from why mm. i understood where she was coming from because hr has a level of visibility of what's going on in the business and the workplace that nobody else has mm. unless you're a very senior leader so mm. i could be in your face as sometimes hr do i can be in your face saying yeah you know you should do X, Y, Z, knowing full well that, mm. you know, your employment is ending in the next couple of weeks, for example. But that's something that I can tell you, right? So how can you trust me then in two or three weeks time when I'm getting you down and having sort of mm. conversation with you? How does that feel for you, for you being black and HR? And I know that like on one hand, you obviously have your own personal moral campus, I would assume. But then also there's a layer of like knowing the struggle potentially what black people face in the workplace. How does that feel for you knowing that you're like the gatekeeper of secrets, no? Yeah, I always say that HR is basically glamorized tea. Like it's just the, it's just the office tea that you've got insight into. Um, I don't know, the way it makes, it's, it's complicated. There's layers to it. I try and be a voice for the people who 
look like me and maybe think similar to me about certain things. I try and be that voice because they're not in the room with me. Um, but I'm also not at the top of organisation. So my voice can only be so loud as well. And I think a lot of people think HR are the people that make the decisions. We're not. We are just the people who drive the process of these decisions that senior leaders want to happen. Um, and I think that's what causes a lot of confusion as well as to um, as to how people view HR because they think we're the ones firing whoever or we're the ones dis like making you go through this disciplinary, etc. We're not. It's somebody at the top has said these are their policies of the company and this is what happens when you do X, Y, Z. And HR are the gatekeepers of these policies to make sure that they stay in place, but we, we don't necessarily create them. So, so ask your question. Me? Yeah. Who's up? Yeah, go ahead. Just for Lisa. No, did I ask you? Did I answer your question? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I thought you said, <laughs> yeah, can you yeah. ask the question? <laughs> yeah. But I think... But I think another another question that comes up or another statement that comes up is HR then power or puppet? Like, mm. you know, when you step into the role of being HR, I, I don't know what it means to want to be human resources mm. slash human resistance. Mm. <laughs> 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 um, and, so the, and so the question, the question, another question that came our way, like I said, statement, is it power or puppet, do you feel that actually you're able to deliver what you see as the role and purpose of HR? Or are you just doing what you're told to do? Not you personally, necessarily, mm. but HR. It depends on the organisation. Some organisations um, leave HR to be more autonomous than others. There's some organisations where HR are the puppet and they're told exactly what to do. Um, and that would be the culture of the organisation. And then you have other companies where HR um, is a little bit more freehold and they can, you know, really immerse themselves in how they want the culture to look and, you know, explain to the senior leaders why the culture should look that way. And if the leaders trust their HR, then they will allow them to do that. Mm. So it really depends on the organisation, also the size of the organisation. So for example, mm. I work for a very big um, tech company with over 30,000 employees. So mm. yes, I'm, I'm HR, but you know, my voice will only go so far amongst 30,000 people. So mm. it depends on how many layers there are between HR and leadership as well. Okay, so as you've mentioned um, senior members of staff, this was another question. Most of the sort of grievances that people have with HR by way of having a grievance with their workplace is because day-to-day -day situations that you're removed from, you know, my boss is pissing me off, I'm being sexually mm -hmm. harassed, I'm being treated unfairly, mm -hmm. or whatever the microaggressions are, how easy and transparent is the process of dealing with grievances about senior members of staff? And I know that's quite a, a big open question and it's like situation to situation, but you know, if someone came to you and said, this is my issue, you know, how easy is it do you feel like for them and for you that this could get dealt with when it is a senior member of staff? That's a good question. Um... My honest answer is the same way the world is unfair, so is the workplace. So the fact that, you know, somebody is senior, let's say, you know, they're the ones that have 
brought in these initiatives and is making the company X amount of money, it's expensive to get rid of somebody like that, you know, based on something they've done. Um, but saying that, it depends on the morals and the culture of the company. If you have a company where their sole focus is not on people experience, but it's on how are we making money, are we making enough money, then the way that senior leader will be treated is probably with a slap on the wrist, like, you know, don't do this. You're representing leaders, you can't behave in that manner. And then it's like swept under the rug. Some companies would say, this is a disciplinary, they have a high profile, we don't want to risk going to court. They might then go for disciplinary with that person, but doesn't terminate them. But then you have some companies who don't have any tolerance despite um, level because some some companies are not hierarchical they don't really care about where you sit on the org chart and they will do what they need to do so it just depends on the culture and the the values of that company you work for I've worked in companies before where senior leader was sleeping with a very junior person and when I spoke about it with the director of HR they didn't care they just wanted me to sweep wow. it under the rug because that that's particular leader was making so much money for the company so i know that in the coming weeks or um i mean by the time this episode is published it could have already happened but you are doing a lot of work with sorry people that want to get into hr and potentially young people mm -hmm. yo younger than myself graduates that are wanting to get into <laughs> hr and so based on what you've just said you know how important is it that that people kind of are you even able to sort of tease out the moral compass of an organization before you get there or you know do you just land yourself in HR and think raw like this is very different from my other place you move mad and now I'm moving mad with you like how easy is it to know where you work as a as a HR representative it's it's not easy that's what happened to me I got to this place and I was like raw swear down like this is how you lot move it was that's literally what happened to me and I lasted 10 months max i think it was nine or ten months i lasted there because my moral compass was compromised so much but i didn't know that until i got there but i think um when you get into hr and you go into different industries and you try different companies you'll realize that there's similarities between companies so i don't really care about this company that i worked for because i hated them so much they were a recruitment company and now because of my experience with recruitment, I'll never work for another recruitment company because uh, I'm not saying they're all the same, but there will be similarities between the sort of issues that you will deal with at recruitment companies. So I think sometimes you have to kind of just put your feet in the water first and just see how you get on and see if it's for you. Because it's not like I didn't learn from that experience of working for that sort of company because I learned that's not the sort of company I want to work for. But also um, it pushed me, it helped push me into starting Black and HR, to be honest, mm -hmm. um, with how I felt Black people were being treated in that workplace in particular. So there's, there's pros and cons to it. Nice, I'm gonna talk about recruitment in a minute, but um, ladies, do you have anything to add? So in terms of, I've asked about HR and their purpose and the sort of sometimes conflicts between your moral compass and the role that you do. Anyone want to feed in at this point? Don't um, be shy now. Um, I'd, I'd just like to make a comment. Obviously, I've had my own 
little beefs with HR. But mm-hmm. um, recently, I feel as though it's, um, I don't even know what word I can use for this, but I really do feel like some, I don't know how HR move in terms of when they have their meetings and when they have group settings and they'll talk about, this is what we're gonna do moving forward when they have team meetings and things like that. But in terms of like caring for people, I just wanna know like your stance on that because I feel like a lot of the times, not my personal issues, sometimes other people's issues, there's no like, even the way they write their emails, the way in which they reply to you, the way in which they interact with you, when you go to meetings with them, whether it's a group meeting, I feel like there's not a lot of care and affection for any of the employees. But if there's like a senior member of staff, they'll probably be okay, a little bit more lenient towards that person. But like the underlying people, the lower level staff, they're like, oh, don't we don't mm-hmm. care. Whatever the issue is, there's no, we don't, we don't care about them. It's like my answer sounds similar, but it's it's literally the company you work for. And mm-hmm. I will say that as a whole, you'll get there's different positions in HR. Like when we think of the the HR that we're talking about, we're thinking of the traditional HR role, which is mm-hmm. HR advisor, HR business partner, HR manager role. Um, and you get people in these roles who do care about the company, but the HR director, for example, if you know, the way they're thinking is not about the people experience, then care goes out the window. It's just, it's just get it done. But you will get people along the way who care, but is their voice big enough for that care to, you know, go the whole way with these employees who need that care. And also furthermore, I think the the statistic is that HR is 60% white female. Yes. So if you, yeah. So if you keep that in mind as well, like, and the I'm main not reason that. I ask you is because um, yeah. obviously as a careers advisor, there's lots of different career paths that people say to me, oh, I'm thinking of mm-hmm. this or I'm not sure about this. I want to go to uni to study this. And they'll ask me, what is my advice on that? And um, I think when it comes to those that ask me about HR, um, I never say to them, don't go into HR. But what I do say mm-hmm. is these are the things that you may come across. These are the things that you may have to deal with and coming in on a junior level, they will have to maybe be that HR assistant or HR advisor mm-hmm. when they then they might have to work their way up to become a senior level in the HR business. So obviously I have to kind of prep them like, will you be able to let go of people and tell them, you know, your job's finished, you're not coming back kind of thing, like those type of things, which is why I'm talking about caring. And whereas other roles that they may find in a company, they may be able to be a lot more caring, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. I think in HR you have to have a good poker face, and I'm not gonna lie. Like yeah. the first, the first tears are the hardest. But now you can literally you can cry in front of me, and I won't I won't bat an eyelid. And it doesn't mean that I don't care. But sometimes you have to remove yourself, your emotional attachment to what's going on. Otherwise, it makes it very difficult to do your job when you start thinking, oh, but they have kids, or oh, you know, what they're gonna do? There's a pandemic, yeah. etc. It becomes very hard. So you actually have to remove yourself. Otherwise, it becomes very draining. And I work in employee relations, so the bulk of my job is managing people who are underperforming disciplinaries, grievances, people who mm-hmm. f- feel you know they've had bias against them and stuff. So if I emotionally you know get um invest in these different people i would be finished 
(laughs) because it's just too much to carry so you have to remove yourself yeah like I can imagine because ultimately we because we don't work in HR we're all employees and we are experiences with HR nine times out of ten when you have an experience with them it's not normally a good encounter because you won't really deal with HR unless you have a problem you want to complain about someone Mm. or someone's complained about you but the reality is is that even in in my job when I'm kind of doing negotiations and things and I might be negotiating with a tenant that's not represented who hasn't paid their rent and stuff like that I Mm. might have like a moral standpoint about what my client is doing but the reality is is that if my client needs to do something that's what I'm paid to do Mm. do you see what I mean so I kind of get where you're coming from because ultimately I have not had some great experiences with HR I think I think it's really important that you mention the point that the majority of people that work in HR are white and female. I think that's mm-hmm. really, a really important point to make because nine times out of 10, if we're probably thinking about our own experiences with HR, we've more or less, where we've had problems, we've probably more or less been dealing with a white woman, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 You know that's what? Modern, I've only had, experience. I've actually only had black and HR. You know, well, God bless you. Some. Lucky for you. <laughs> is it really lucky for her? It depends on what they did for her. <laughs> well, the thing is, I think at the end of the day, like my my hashtag for um, people that work in HR, but I think it's more HR advisors. So not like diversity people or other people around that. I usually call them like the queens of Babylon because I feel like by the time, <laughs> <I'm>, <laughs> that's not that's not about you personally because like, but it's more about the fact that. You don't know where you stand with them. And they, they, they're under pressure from the business to perform in a certain yeah, way. Yeah, the poker face is real. And ultimately, if you're working for a good company that knows how to behave, it's unlikely that you'll have a HR department that acts mad. Mm-hmm. Do, do you get what I'm trying to say? Mm-hmm. So sometimes mm-hmm. I feel like... Do you know... Yeah. Where, where we're kind of working, with where we feel aware about HR, they are simply a mirror and a reflection of the senior leaders mm-hmm. who are actually yeah. telling them what to, to do. do and telling them you must go and yeah. do so. Can I interject here and say a little something? Um, I don't really share, I guess, the group's kind of, um, probably kind of, I don't know, reservations is not even strong enough of a word or maybe it's <laughs> negativity, but that sounds a bit too strong towards HR. I haven't really had to deal with them much in the past and when I have the problem has been resolved um so i think it's one of those things that comes down to the individual as a person i mean Valisa, you've made it very clear what your moral boundaries are and you made a decision in order uh, to come out of something that was compromising you in that respect and i think it really just comes down a lot to the individual and how much they love their job or they're willing to keep their job or and how much they actually care about people. There's people that enter roles like HR or things that are people facing and interacting with people in dire straits who could not give a damn about the people that they are interacting with. I wouldn't place really a great emphasis on someone being black and in HR. Uh, To me, that's not really an indication of anything other than that we share the same skin color. Uh, that's it the way that I'm judging that person is going to be on individual merit and basis I don't really believe in the workplace that just because somebody is black they owe me anything extra or something like that it is nice 
when there is that kind of understanding of the wider nuances and context of the things that can affect us as black women specifically in the workplace but i wouldn't expect it but it would be an absolute delight to encounter someone who was kind of who kind of took that into consideration in what they do but at the end of the day fundamentally as you have said i know that they have a job to do and that's the way that i'm going to kind of broach that relationship i wouldn't really expect anything more out of it i don't agree with that and I, I, I totally understand what you're saying. Mm-hmm. The only reason why I don't agree is because in reality, what it feels like isn't as straightforward as what you're saying. So the only reference I was going to make was to my, because I said I've had, I've had black in HR everywhere I've been, not Belisa, but a black lady in mm-hmm. HR. And um, yeah, my experience has been relatively okay. But then if I think about the devil school that I was at, which had a black <laughs> lady in HR, mm. I think what, I think what, rifes me the most is that there is a part of you and remember we spoke about sisterhood we, and mm-hmm. we often speak about sisterhood in the workplace mm-hmm. and what that looks like and it feels like when you consider HR it's like they're somewhat removed they're like a external person attached to an organization when we consider them in that like you know the the professional tea the gatekeepers of secrets That's blah, exactly blah, blah. What they are. but <clears throat> but really and truly when I am crying my eyes out because I'm grieving and someone's calling me to come to work or I know I'm being bullied and harassed and my workplace is enough. I kind of think if you do have someone that is black in HR, you do want them to, to give you the eye and say, sis, <coughs> I know. Or yeah, you I want am, them to. Hold on, hold on. Or I am looking at them shady thinking, bruh, how can you You've work here? I'm, similar. Yeah. I'm about to make mm-hmm. my exit. How are you working here? And the last mm-hmm. thing is that if we're talking about H, well, I don't know, but if we're talking about HR being fit for purpose in terms of what the role is supposed to be on paper versus what it means to live it out as a human being that has to be somewhat removed because you've got a job to do. At the end of the day, if you're in a workplace where you know that um, senior leadership or senior members of staff move mad, they move shady, they're racist, they're sexist or whatever. Surely, I don't. I actually don't know, Felisa, maybe you can help me. Mm-hmm. I don't know who HR answer to, but surely when you see certain things in the workplace, as, as a member of HR, I would think that part of your purpose is that that needs to be fixed. Now, the only reason I'm gonna mm-hmm. say that is also because an example is um, someone close to me just left a workplace and they had a really, really, really hard time with their boss and to the point in the leaving card i didn't it probably meant nothing but their boss wrote you know we haven't always seen eye to eye i just felt it was not appropriate but then Mm -hmm. a series of things happened up until the point that that person was leaving the workplace i mean in the days before and they decided that they were going to go and report it to hr and at that point hr then said to them do you know what i'm glad you've done this because now actually there's a picture being painted that people leave and when people leave they're saying the same thing and if we don't go to hr and tell them and then hr don't act on it what are we saying is allowed to happen in the workplace sorry shank can i come back to you i don't see how 
what I said actually contradicted with what you said. I think I said it comes down to the individual. What are their standards? If they're the kind of person that doesn't really care about people like that and just wants to get on with their job, then of course that's the kind of person you're going to encounter. What you encountered was appalling, but is that symptomatic of HR in general or is that the individual? I can't, like, just because... because HR hmm. have a responsibility to call Absolutely. out leadership. I think, but then I think it goes back to my wider point. I have to let Felicia speak as well. Is about the business you you work in, mm. because HR is simply, to me, as far as I'm concerned, a mirror of the business they work in. So, for example, every time I've encountered HR, it's not been because I've actually approached them; it's because somebody else, somebody else has approached them. So, whether that's where someone took out a grievance about someone who was racially discriminating against me, brought up my name in the grievance, and then I had to go and have a meeting with them. Or whether it was because I was having an exit interview, like my 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 interaction per se with HR has never been like voluntary on my part. But so on that basis, it's always been someone senior who's approached them. Or if I've seen people approach or have discussions with HR, it's been because of the behaviour of senior members. I think it's like when we come in, if we don't, I I personally. I still stick and I say, stick to it and say that HR that are the queens of Babylon, but I say that simply because they are a reflection of the organisations that we work in. Mm-hmm. So I don't think you'll have a situation where you have a really aggressive or um, a really harsh or heavy-handed HR department or a HR department that doesn't really take grievances seriously, doesn't take racial abuse seriously, doesn't take kind of abuse of power seriously. If you have an organisation who does take those things seriously, who does want to create a good working environment. I think the two go hand in hand, if I'm honest. Melissa, what would you say? You know, I agree about HR being a reflection of the business. So um, I worked as a HR manager at a school for six weeks. Mm. I left after six weeks. (laughs) First of all, I applaud teachers because the things that I saw going on in that school, I couldn't believe it. I felt like I was watching everything from behind the scenes. And what I found working at this school in East London is... (laughs) What I found is the black teachers were the favourites of the pupils because of where the school is, right? So all the the pupils naturally, you know, the teachers were voted the favourite teacher at the award ceremonies and stuff, but they were also the most underpaid. I noticed that. And... Because when I was working in this school, the head teacher would she literally make up numbers for salaries on the spot when she'd be yeah. recruiting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, and it was just, it was, yeah. I mean, when we're not recording, I'll tell you the name of the school. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> like, just, just watching all of that and them not recognising the work that the black teachers were doing with the pupils was so stressful to watch. And I remember there was a, um, a white woman who was an English teacher who was going to leave and the head teacher ran to me and said we can't lose her let's up her salary by eight thousand let's move her band in yeah yeah and then then the favorite teacher do you have the power do you have the power to be like "Mm, that's not we have the power you can we have the power you can just highlight stuff but at the end of the day yeah what are you gonna do yeah we have Mm. the power to question it Mm. we have the power to push back and say we don't think this is the right approach. Mm. Have you looked at X, Y, Z in that's already, you know, here that could possibly replace that person if they leave because they're just as good. But 
they didn't want to listen and it got to a point where I I actually put data together because another thing when you're in HR is you have to be commercially aware of who you're speaking Mm. to in the business because if you don't have the numbers and data to back it up nothing you say matters they they don't care so I came with the data that said all your black teachers were sitting in the middle and at the bottom of you know where they are as teachers Mm. and all the white teachers and they weren't just white as well they were um they were white and gay and the head teacher was also white and gay so she wow. was basically yeah she was basically hiring and promoting in her own image so mm-hmm. i came with the data yeah i came with the data to show her she she didn't care <laughs> she didn't care <laughs> she didn't care and it was just like you know what i can't help you i was doing in exit interviews of all these black teachers that were leaving because they couldn't do it anymore I was like, why am I still here? Six weeks I lasted and I left. That's true. And the thing is, if you had stayed there, then that gives people who interact with you a negative perception if they're understanding also what's going on. So Mm. sometimes to a certain extent, I guess as a HR professional, it's like catch-22. Like Mm. either you have to leave somewhere where actually it really needs someone like you or you stay and you become, Mm. you know, the the person that people look at and say rah like this person is upholding all these bad mind standards you're rotten to Mm -hmm. the core as well it's Mm -hmm. like i don't know as a hr person how you would even be able to transform a place like that without first someone like that woman being get it got rid of and who can even do that yeah you can't and that you see that story that you were saying there you know as a black person you even make that decision to leave or you're going to stay and encourage this negative behaviour. I don't think it's not about encouraging mm. because ultimately I think... That's her job, I get it. But at the same time, it, I just don't think like... So many black teachers were clearly successful in that school, but they were leaving because they were underpaid. They weren't respected by the head teacher mm. and she was just hiring her own. But and I feel but that's like... that's a lot of pressure to put on someone. No, it's not just one HR. person. I'm guessing there's more than, uh, there's more than one person there. Not all the but time. What, not in yeah. schools. You know, in the school, um, I was outside of the exec board. I was the senior HR person and I had two people reporting into me. So you think I would have some sort of, you know, oh, leverage, leverage, mm. yeah, which I didn't. Like when they would come and talk to me and say they're leaving, I say, yeah, good for yeah, you. Yeah, that's I'll the only like, thing I'll you like, can congrats. do. Congrats. <laughs> Advise yeah, them to I, go. I, I, think more upset. I think it's because I work like in a corporate firm and I think my, my, frustration with HR is simply how senior members can use HR procedures Mm -hmm. to effectively Mm -hmm. punish employees Mm -hmm. when those same HR procedures need to be used to not only protect employees but Mm. to sanction senior employment but the bottom line is is if you have like a partner at a law firm who is what we call a rainmaker if he's sleeping with a trainee if he's bullying people if he's sexually harassing people, if he's saying off-the-cuff legal things, yeah. you will see it in front of your eyes, him get away with something. 100%. And I think it's just it's disgusting. What I don't, what where I begin to get a bit eh, is where someone can just be some, any dusty senior associate <laughs> and they're acting mad <laughs> and you won't discipline them and that person doesn't even make money or do their job correctly. But simply because they are white mm-hmm. and they, they are protected, mm-hmm. they are getting away with it. Because if I'm honest, when I look at my career, I've never had any, I've never had any sexual harassment or issues. I've had a few off-key um, racial problems, as we all have. But my beefs were with rainmakers. There was some any idiots which really should have been disciplined from day mm. dot. But then you, when you have systematic problems 
and you have a perception of who is worthy of protection. So we're not going to protect the junior black workers, but we need to protect the senior mm. middle class. Because they're making us more money. Which is very not ironic. We're well, not because they're making more money, but because they look a certain way mm. and that when black people speak and give an opinion about how they're being tra- treated, mm-hmm. their opinion and their voice isn't trusted. Okay, mm. yeah. I Do you see what, what I mean? Saying. Yeah. That's very that ironic, sense. though, because the straight white man is the least protected when it comes to how employment law is looked at. So it's always very ironic mm. when, you know, inside it's the true. workplace, they are the most protected, but really and truly, workplaces should be more scared of those, um, of not just black colleagues, but anyone with a protected characteristic. Exactly. They should and be they more scared of are. those people, and they never are. And mm. I think part of that is because a lot of those under I hate this phrase, but a lot of those mm. underrepresented groups do not know their rights in the same yes, way as that white yes, man. Yes. <laughs> so because of that, they don't need to be scared because there's very little that they feel that person will be able to do. Mm-hmm. But when people start, it's the people that get loud and the people that start quoting law and start saying they're going to do this and that, that's when they you know, start to pay attention. But they know a lot of people don't know their rights, so they chill out. Well, do you know what? You... I hear you saying that, but you know, we've had some really kind of like serious emails before from people who've been through Mm -hmm. egregious situations at work that they have actually raised internally with HR and they have tried to kind of pursue down that kind of route and it's just been absolute trauma and stress and in the end they've given up because it wasn't even worth risking their mental health for an outcome that could possibly not go in their favour. So, I mean... I hear what you're saying but at the same time I think I think it's very difficult there's there's a there's a side to the thing which is an ignorance about what people's rights are but then some people do actually know their rights and they attempt to go down that route but then obviously they're encountering other forms of institutional racism mm-hmm. in 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 those mm-hmm. situations and they're like do you know what yeah I can't be a martyr for the cause let me just collect my check if they're offering me one or let me just go on to the next job because actually this is too much you know you mentioned something just now about the whites the white man is the least protective can you ex- go into that more because I, I I, I want our listeners to understand in what sense is that the case and what is that true and if so how can we actually leverage that knowledge for their benefit so what I mean is from a privileged point of view so in the world the most powerful person is the straight white man so no matter if they're poor or they're rich they will always be in a more privileged position than us as black women or black men, etc. So therefore, um, when I talk about them being the most protected in the workplace, it's because they are the ultimate representation of power mm-hmm. in the world. So you're going to naturally, society will naturally tell you almost, almost subconsciously that that's the person that you should protect and not that black woman who's actually going through it because that person has power and it's all it's all psychological it's not real it's psychological okay so you said that was in the workplace i i gathered that you said that before but i feel like you said earlier that outside of the work structure actually the white man the single white man is the least protected i think i thought that's what oh you no said. What? no no so what i meant by that is if for example there was a tribunal where mm-hmm. somebody wanted to take somebody to court because of something that happened in the workplace. Mm-hmm. The straight white man, for example, if we wanted to 
remove him from the business because he wasn't performing, for mm. example. Um, really and truly, he doesn't have a leg to stand on in the sense of he can't say it's because I'm black, it's because I'm this, it's because I'm that. If you're a straight white male, there's very little that you can say is against you. Do you understand what I mean? Mm, in terms yeah. of discrimination. So, but then how exactly, comes they get away yeah. with it so, so much? <laughs> because because the they're in the place of privilege. Yeah, that's the irony of it. Because they're in a place of privilege and, and power. But really and truly, they are the ones that carry the least risk mm. if you were to remove them from the business. Mm. But the people who carry more risk are the ones that are actually removed with more ease. Mm. I hear you. Mm. I understand. Yeah. Okay. Wow. I'm loving this conversation. It's really insightful. Mm. Um, I just want to talk recruitment quickly. So I'm going to ask two questions in one, if that's all right. So talk mm -hmm. to us about what you know of your experience of recruitment application processes. To what extent do names and qualifications affect decisions oh, to Lord. be interviewed? <laughs> one. FNM, and two, do HR <laughs> always know? Because uh, we've all stepped into build. Well, I have or known of mm. do hr always know who the preferred candidate is especially when they're Ooh. internal because you know they're nothing worse than stepping in and then being sitting in the waiting room like yeah i've worked at the school for eight years like what the fuck am i doing here then <laughs> 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 so hr recruitment processes names qualifications does that affect processes and uh recruitment of internal candidates talk to mm. us about that girl tell okay. us the truth what do you know tell us the truth spill a tea so... man <laughs> That's it. Yes. I told you. I told you one thing, right? I told you something first. With if your this chest. is where where HR do have a lot of power is in recruitment. This is this is like that's the the fundamental of what HR is. Like it's the foundation is recruitment. So, for example, if somebody said to me um, at some of my roles, "Can you put me forward for this job?" I have the power to put that CV right in front of the hiring manager and say, "Yeah, this is a good one for you to interview." Mm -hmm. Just to start on the positive. Um, so <laughs> you should have left that for the, the end. <laughs> <laughs> with with the names, with the names, I I can honestly say that yes, mm. as generally yes. Not everybody that looks at CVs will you know focus on the names, um, but yes, it does. I've witnessed in different companies. For example, um, there was one company we were looking for a designer, a graphic designer, and the person's name was Nana. Um, so obviously, I'm I'm not Ghanaian, but I, I recognise Ghanaian names. Yeah. So I saw this, and I didn't think anything of it. And then I heard my two colleagues started going, no, 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 Oh, so and and that's not to say they didn't want to see yeah it's not I to say they not, didn't want to see her no, 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 guys don't laugh fam. don't laugh no i'm actually just really no it's, the that you it's have, like, so shocking it. isn't it hmm. yeah it's it's terrible mm. and it's not to say they didn't want her to go forward but already you you're you're mm. not taking her seriously yeah. because you've looked at her name and you you're singing batman the cultural rather than just Exactly, mm. rather than just looking at what her skill set is. Mm -hmm. Needless to say, Nana didn't get free to. Well, you know, the Lord protected yeah, her from a foolish stuff. environment. Yeah, yeah and I've also, I've also at the recruitment company, so that was very insightful because they're literally all on phones and walking around and stuff. And you'd hear them talk about people's names mm -hmm. and say, mm -hmm. um, like, no, 
they say, I can't pronounce it. Or, or they won't be able to make it into a nickname. That was a big thing. I, we, oh, they can't wow. make it into a nickname. So <gasps> we don't know if they'll fit into the, the culture of because the company. Of how their name oh, sounds. Wow. Because of what their name, like if, I, if they can't shorten it, it's like, you know, well, how will I they fit in if I can't shorten it? You know I'm not phased by that. Like, cause you guys, you all have names there. If they look at your names, yeah, they don't know what's gonna come through mm-hmm. the door. They're probably presuming well, they're shocked a white when person. they see me. Yeah, always, yeah, always. Yeah, always yeah, but my name, my name, kind of stops that. Yeah, my full true. illustrious name is there for them to see, so they know what they're getting. So mm-hmm. I know that when I'm getting an interview or someone's actually calling me, they don't care about that kind of thing. And to be mm-hmm. fair, I wouldn't really want to be in a place where where people just totally disregard that and i've said it before mm. on the podcast like i have a thing where when i start you're gonna say my whole name and then if i like like the your attitude to towards that and you're not like trying to shorten it immediately then you'll get a shortened version but until that point like i just need to establish that boundary in that respect so what you said is something that i already know but it's not going to phase me because if there's a place that's doing things like that i don't need to be working there because i know there's exactly. probably other microaggressions that i'm going to encounter or whatnot I, so yeah i just find it but bold not and all brass. companies are like that no yeah but i just true. find it bold and brass that they don't just do it behind your back like i've walked into interviews or mm-hmm. an interview i should say mm. and um like so at the time for this for this one particular one that stands out to me um Chantel Horton from Big Brother was um about mm. and they actually said to me oh you don't have blonde hair oh lord like as i walked that. through the door and it was like no because i'm not Chantel Horton so what are we doing? Oh god, oh, the racism just left that out. Chantel, they thought that all Chantels were white now. That is ignorance. Did you stay for that interview? I did stay for that interview. Mm. They loved me. Um, and and you know it actually wasn't a bad place to it wasn't a bad place to work but I was young that was that actually was a job that I had as a youth worker prior to graduation mm. um, so I was none the wiser although you know I've had my experiences in people mm-hmm. calling out my university and stuff but yeah mm. I think now that I'm older if I detected something like that like I've, I've got pride now and I would mm. actually leave because I'd be like mm, indication that you don't need to be here but obviously yeah. when you're younger you just want a job so yeah you're just going to be like oh you people are mad but at the end of the day man a, needs to get paid <laughs> but that's a good question though like do we have the power to go to HR in organisations that we don't work in <laughs> like if we've had a shocking <laughs> interview not. you think I ain't got enough yeah. things going on in my the life to be going to <laughs> yeah, but the interviewer has really moved mad can we go to HR <laughs> even though we don't what? work there we could you can you, know? you can yeah well, you listen I don't know to if they'll us. do anything yeah. but yeah. It's it's a yeah. it depends on the culture can. Actually, yeah. that's a good idea, you know. I would never have thought to do that. Maybe we need to start doing that more. Maybe that will kind of like... And you can you can ask to see the notes that they've taken about you as well. Eh? You really? Can. Tell us how. So on, so sorry, you just say that again. Wait, wait, guys. <laughs> one time I was on an interview panel. Yeah, one time I was on an interview panel and um, they didn't really write nice notes about this guy that came in. Actually, horrible notes. I was writing nice things and... Then when they requested, he requested, oh, can I see? Because he never got the job. They were all shuffling and rustling. And oh, I was my like, days. they were Because you can actually ask for that. So mm. I didn't know that. That's good to know, because considering yeah. you can't always, you cannot always get feedback. Although once you get to the interview, you do get feedback. But that's good to know. I d- is that illegal, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's oh, your wow. data. Hear well, that, ladies. It, it is your legal right to request the notes from your interview should you want to see them. Oy. 
All right. Um, are, are we happy with that? Because I, I feel like we're getting to a, that sad point where we have to round up soon. I don't think I have anything else to kind what of... What about the qualifications, though? The qualification part of that, like, mm. as HR, when I'm you see, okay, names, yeah. where somebody goes to uni or if they have a 2-1 or a first uni. or a 2-2 two mm-hmm. two or it, what kind of... Is that kind of, does that kind of come Oh, I can out? answer that for you. 100% yes. If well, I know, in. but in terms of as a black person as well, like... I what, feel like you guys are putting too much pressure. <laughs> no, <laughs> because it it's, differs. You know what, it's genuine questions. And what's, yeah. what's happened is, so <laughs> I, I recorded a podcast recently with um, Educating Whilst Black, and we spoke about the fact that I'm, at the universities that I applied for and the one that I happened to go to, and someone actually responded um, via Twitter or comments and said they hadn't actually taken a moment to consider that black and ethnic minorities do not have the same access to the top universities as the wider population. Mm-hmm. And so therefore, when you are an employer and you're looking for mm-hmm. Cambridge, Oxford, LSE, SOAS or whatever, you are immediately whether it's conscious, unconscious, deliberate or by accident, you are immediately potentially removing yeah. um, a portion of of applicants. Now, for me, especially, my name is white. I, however you want to see it, my name is white and then my university is, um, mm. you know, reputable. So I, I don't think it's a hard question because I don't, I think I'm posing it because it's out there and I know from my mm-hmm. first job post-graduation, I was recruited or my application was selected on the basis of the uni I went to. It was a black woman that recruited me, but she also went to the same university. So she was like, yeah, fellow, blah, blah, blah. Who she was expecting to see, I don't mm-hmm. know. Mm-hmm. But she she said out loud to me, yeah, I saw your uni, you're one of mine, straight. Mm-hmm. I've heard of things like that as well. That's I don't think it's too much. It's a question, not pressure. Well. No. Yeah. But it's the truth, though. That's why people try to get into these universities. That's why there's always, like, noise every year about, you know, how many people Oxford and Cambridge are letting in because they're trying to close the door on, like, opportunities. Yep. So, or, like they say, maintain but, the attainment gap. Yeah, That's exactly. But I don't know how much HR... What can HR really do about that? <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah, there's, there's not much that HR can do, but... It depends on the the job as well that that person is applying for um, will determine how much they look at university. But for example, when I look at CVs, I kind of do the opposite. I look for, and and it's another version of of bias, I look for people who have a similar education to me. So I'm from London, I'll look, did they, I went to SFX, the college, so I'll be like, oh, did they go to SFX, did they go to Christ the King? Yeah, oh my gosh. So yeah, I'll look for things like that because I'm like, okay, you are similar to me and there's not enough of people like me around. So I'm going to try and bring you in. So it's it's positive discrimination. I like it. I respect it. Yeah. But in general, you, of course, like I work for a tech company. Automatically, when they're looking for their engineers and stuff, they go to what university you went to. But with that being said, um, something like tech, a lot of people are becoming self-taught. So it will, it will change. Yeah. It will change the way that they then look at recruitment. So um, there's layers to it. Mm-hmm. I think for me as well, like I've seen like in the legal industry, like people, it's the partners who are saying we only want people from Oxbridge and Cambridge, mm. and it's the 
like so Oxbridge and Cambridge and Oxford is the partners saying they only want Russell Group is the part because there's a perception of intelligence yeah that if, as long as you've gone mm. to if, you know as long as you've gone to a certain level university you are at a minimum level and for me it's so frustrating when I have to deal with trainees who've gone to Oxbridge and they mm. are absolutely the worst people I have Dundas. to deal with mm-hmm. <laughs> like, it's actually like so shocking and sad to me that you went to one of the best universities in the world and your attitude is stank and your work is not good do you know what I mean but there is that there's perception and I think the wider you know there are a lot of organizations such as where recruitment working on encouraging employers to kind of consider contextual recruitment mm. but I think we're in we're still a long way away from where people think look at a candidate and think you're the only person in your sixth form that went to uni you're the only person in your sixth form who got one A in A levels so the fact that you did that means that in the situation you're in you're actually an extremely high achiever mm-hmm. you're more a high achiever mm-hmm. than someone who went to a private school where everybody got A's and mm. 30 to 40 percent mm. you know got into Oxbridge but we're, I think we're kind of that's a move but I feel like that that move kind of in the vein of improving diversity altogether I think these are things that HR can suggest but Melissa, I don't know like how much can you actually do to push the agenda mm. yeah it depends how much senior leadership want to um want to listen and also back to my point about being commercially aware and data there has to be solid proof as to why they should do something if there's no why as to you know it being better it doesn't make sense to them because it's really easy to say you know diverse workplaces um are x amount times more successful but why why why? what do they do that i don't do yeah literally (laughs) sad interesting Okay, so unfortunately, we have to round up. Alice. But um, I guess I'm just going to close with, I'm again going to ask the two questions in one for ease of time. But for you, um, and I know you work for an organisation as well as now setting up your own, but what are the benefits of being black in HR? And what would you like us to take away as black women working about how we feel about HR? Um, the benefits of being black in HR is you have diverse thought compared to probably the majority of people that you work with so you can always bring a different angle and a different thought process and a different perspective I think being able to talk to people in a different way and when I say that I don't mean switch coding or coaching sorry I mean, being able to bring your authentic self where you need to in terms of different conversations with those people who won't necessarily be the people that are comfortable talking to HR, um, which is always good. And I would say, um, I would say the one thing that should be taken away from this conversation is that's a tough question. Gosh, we've spoken about so much. Um, (laughs) I would say it is to understand that HR is not out to get you. (laughs) (laughs) Honestly, HR is not out to, HR is not out to get to you, but they're, they're also not always there to protect you. 
Mm. So bear that in mind when you speak mm. to them. And that sounds like a negative as somebody who's in HR, but sometimes people put too much trust into what they expect HR to do for them. Mm. But remember that they are also working for the same people you work for. Mm. Mm-hmm. I like so it. So just be, just be awake. That's real. Thank you. Yeah, honestly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. 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 I think I think it was. I, I'm really really grateful that you joined us mm, today. Thank you. Um, yeah. Thank you for having you me. You know, I feel that HR HR are an important part of our working experience, and we don't often get to have these conversations mm. as Black women working with HR because they're not necessarily our friends. I mean, as in even when there's a black person in HR, because of the role that they play, they don't necessarily get to be as honest, transparent, as friendly with you because of the work that they have to do. And I do just hope that we've been able to kind of pose a few of the questions that our listeners have and um, communicated their experience in a way that is true to their being. And I'm grateful for the fact that you've answered those questions you know, generally from a HR perspective, but also bringing yourself as someone who's black in HR Mm -hmm. as well. So thank you. Yes, thank you. We really rose to the challenge and I appreciate like the the breadth of this conversation as well, because I think we had our own ideas, but you've really shed light on some specific things which should help us all to be a bit more uh, understanding, but also sometimes there's no need. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, Thank you for joining us. Thank you, everyone, and, for and listening. Also, I want to say something. I just <laughs> want to thank you also for setting up um, Black in HR because I know that while we have had issues, <laughs> I personally have issues with HR, period, Queens of Babylon. Like, <laughs> I think the figure that resonated with me the most is that the majority of HR, I keep saying it because it's important, 60% of them are white and female. And if having Black in HR means that you're gonna have more black people working in HR who can hopefully make a difference, change perspectives, then I'll be that I think that'll be really good. That'll be really helpful. Will you be happier? I hope so. Yeah, I might <laughs> be. They're still Queens of Babylon <laughs> personally. So once again, um we said at the beginning, but you can find Black and HR on social media using their handle at black and black and HR. Um we are in the autumn so towards the end of the year january is there anything you would like to plug Valisa, that you know is going to be happening in the coming months december january on That's um, <laughs> yeah like there'll probably be more events there's one that will be coming up aimed at senior black hr professionals who want to get to that director c-suite level so that will probably be the next event lovely so have keep an eye out if you're interested and again you know follow and continue the conversation using our social media at bww podcast uk hashtag bww podcast uk and as i said earlier you can always email us on black women working uk at gmail.com thank you and speak to you soon bye bye, bye. <laughs> Don't <laughs> <laughs>